0: You're listening to Threads Radio, my name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic. Well, I'm torn here as I would love to have let that run the full course of its 45 odd minutes and I don't much like doing fades, but then there's some equally great stuff coming up in this show. That was Michael Winter's single track written in 2015 for Amplified Sustaining Instruments. He's a West Coast US composer, currently based in Berlin, whose work often explores process and in which dynamic systems are often defined through graphic or text-based scores. He said that, to me, everything we experience is computable. And this piece is duly high concept in a sense. It's a seven-part canon, a canon being just a musical round, think London's Burning, which starts off fast and gradually slows down. So the ending you missed becomes ultimately a big sonorous drone. Sorry for the howling plot spoiler there. His original idea, as he put it, was to write a piece that laid out all possible ways of articulating a six-note chord with seven instruments bound by two constraints. First, that there was minimal timbral change over time, a permutation where only two elements swapped from moment to moment, and second, that the voices were cyclic shifts of each other, a fancy way, I think, of saying that they're canonic. But the solution, it seems, wasn't nearly as easy as the concept was clear. Without getting too bogged down, it eventually came about via minimal change enumerations known as grey codes, and one in particular in which each position within the words is a cyclic shift of the others. Now in computer science this property, what we call a canon or round in music, is called a single track, hence the title of the piece. So nothing it seems to do with the fact that it is also a single track of recorded music as I first thought. I think it may illustrate as well, though, if I've interpreted this correctly, a challenge that can be involved in writing process music, that an idea can be strong and clearly understandable conceptually, yet the means of making that idea work musically usually requires a whole realm of other aesthetic considerations. Music always inherently poses its own challenges that aren't always reconcilable with conceptual ones, at least convincingly anyway. That performance has also got a great gutsy quality to it that is partly, I think, due to the use of instruments in the lower register necessitated by the score and by the exhaustive series of permutations of six notes that recalls, at least superficially, the halcyon days of 70s minimalism along with something of the permutative obsessiveness of composers like Tom Johnson. But there is something probably more rigorous and consequently less familiar in its micro detail than with the music of Reich, Glass and so on. It's performed by a Mexican group called Liminar, and of them Michael Winter has said, Experimental music continues to be Euro and North American centric. Liminar does just as much, if not more, than their counterparts in Europe and the US, often with significantly less resources. Something special is happening musically in Mexico and across the Americas south of the US border. And no doubt Liminar is one of the many driving forces behind a more global recognition and support of music from Latin America. And they are Alexander Brook, viola, Omar Lopez, baritone saxophone, Wilfredo Terezas, bass flute, Jorge Amadar, cello, Monica Lopez Lau, Sold recorder, Antonio Rosales, bass clarinet, and Jonathan Mendez on contrabass. And that piece is taken from the album of the same name, single track, and it was just released earlier this year on the label Another Tambra. There's such a wonderful sense of stillness to that, almost like breathing. That's 2 & 3, written in 2013, I think, by Cem Guni. He's a young Turkish composer who grew up in Boston and is now based in Izmir, Turkey. He comes from a background in DJing, metal, jazz guitar and trumpet, which you may think are seemingly unlikely influences for the piece you just heard, but in a story I've heard a few times, jazz and in particular the electronic work of Miles Davis served as a gateway drug to the exploring of electronic music, sound art and so on into contemporary classical. Based on what I've read by him, I don't think he sees himself as being representative in particular of Turkish music, air quote marks there, and more generally He said that despite there being a few hotspots for such progressive and experimental music within the country, there is still generally a long way to go. Turkey, as he sees it, isn't socially or culturally there yet. A situation reflecting, perhaps, its often complex history of industrialization, secularization, and liberalization. Anyhow, that piece is taken from a recent release called Five Compositions, and it was put out by Editions Vondelweiser. Yes, them again in 2015. It's music described by Vondelweiser co-founder Anton Bouget as being very personal and beautiful, yet still unheard, albeit with echoes to my ears of the music of luminaries like Morton Feldman and Christian Wolff. Each of the pieces on the album presents a single idea, a chord, a texture, and so on that alternates with short silences whilst gradually developing. And you get a sense throughout of sounds being meticulously conceived and meticulously played there by Anton Bouget, Flute, Germaine Sistermans, Clarinet, Burkold Schottauer, Violin, Lydia Hauernhörn, Viola, and Marcus Kaiser, Cello. <laughs>
1: What do You know, I
2: don't know.
3: So, what do you know?
0: inventiveness of that. That's Electril, written in 1999 by Francisca Baumann. She's a Swiss composer, performer, researcher, and lecturer based in Bern, who specializes in improvisation, vocals, flute, and live electronics. She's performed and collaborated widely, and her output ranges from improvised works and electroacoustic compositions to installations and large-scale surround sound projects. She also uses a custom-built sensor glove she designed that allows her to control her vocal articulations via physical gestures in real time, which is pretty cool. As a vocalist, she makes use of extended techniques and microtonal inflections that have a certain connection to my mind with the music of Joan Barbara, with whom she studied. Her music doesn't seem bound by particular styles or concepts, but rather to express an almost emergent sense of possibility in the using of the voice. And the album that that piece is taken from, Vocal Suite, tells succinct stories that seem to lie beyond or before even the semantic meaning of discourse or words. Francisca Baumann has said, For me, the unadorned voice is a language more expressive than words. In it are endless landscapes, characters, textures, and colors, and if you like that, here's one more from the album. well, that one. That was Le Ver Chanteuse, or The Singing Glasses, by Francisco Bauman. And that, along with Electril, is taken from the album Vocal Suite, which was released on Unit Records in 1997. speak as always hiding behind hollow words running away from yourselves with your howling sorrow you find the night with haste a teardrop i'll fall to your eye that's part of metin Altiok's poem duserim that translates as i fall and which was set to music there by fazil say he's a renowned composer from ankara turkey and has racked up a lot of pieces, drawing parallels with composers like Bartók, Enescu and Ligeti, all of whom also borrowed from the rich musical cultures of their countries. So his music is reflective of Turkey, whilst I think he himself is quite an internationalist. He notoriously got in hot water back in 2012, for example, when he declared himself an atheist on Twitter and retweeted a message poking fun at the Islamic conception of paradise he was indicted by a Turkish court for publicly insulting religious values that are adopted by a part of the nation, a crime that carries a penalty of up to 18 months in prison, though the conviction was later overturned on appeal. Anyhow, musically, he writes a lot of large-scale pieces, so what you heard there, and the album it's from, Ik Sarkilar, or First Songs, a duo between himself and the singer Serinat Bajam is something that is perhaps a bit more of a departure. And Duzerim is just a gorgeously reflective opener to that album. And that album, "Ik Sarkilar, was released on Ada Music in 2014. (laughs)
2: Oh, my God.
0: That's a stunner. I haven't really heard anything quite like it before, despite having some familiar elements. I think it's just the way they're put together. That's part two of The Children of Fire Come Looking for Fire, written by Eric Wubbles in 2012. He's a New York, I believe, based composer and pianist and the co-director of the Wet Ink Ensemble, who perform on the album that's taken from. And I'm guessing you may not have immediately clocked this, but the piece is in fact entirely based on a single cadence in the coda of an early Brahms piano piece that Eric Wobbles describes as a bizarrely symmetrical contrary motional wedge shape that contracts from a perfect fifth to a perfect fourth and inwards to unison. The idea of that wedge or contraction was then, in his words, converted to a newm that functions on every structural level of the piece, from global trajectories to micro gestures and even physical motions for the performers. It's a kind of radically extended serialism, in a sense. He said that through all this he was aiming to develop a 21st century conception of ensemble virtuosity, now a virtuosity of listening, concentration, timbral fusion, and collaborative decision-making as much as of technique. And within it, as mentioned, there's familiar elements, the language of extended techniques of contemporary classical music and movements such as new complexity. But there's to my ear also something pretty fresh in how they're combined. In a nutshell, just very playfully, the music doesn't shy away from rhythmic and phrase repetitions, often in twos, fours and so on giving what is on one level a potentially harsh and austere sound world, an instant sense of familiarity, even something approaching a catchiness, if that's not too much of a stretch. But it's also the intermeshing of the piano and violin parts to create these crazy fused textures, the two instruments often functioning as one seemingly crazed machine and often operating on a sonic level, whereby one instrument amplifies or affects the timbre qualities of the other, That's the timbral fusion I think he was referring to. Anyhow, just great to my ears and brilliantly played there by Joshua Modney on violin and Eric Wobble's piano of the Wet Ink Ensemble. And it's taken from the album Duos with Piano, book one, released on Carrier Records in 2016. Blessing. Three pieces there by Roberto Muschi and I love that his name is just a slight anagram of music. You heard Improbably Musica, Water Music and Claudia Willemar and Me. Roberto Muschi is a Milanese composer, performer and video artist who developed a fascination for non-western music and traveled widely across India Asia and Africa through the 70s and 80s, collecting and studying the local instruments, whilst making field recordings that he'd later combine with synths and electronics on his return to Italy. And the resulting pieces serve partly as personal documents of these journeys, as well as providing a snapshot of local cultures, but they also reflect, I think, a desire to create something else from them that seems to exist in a world of its own. It's something partly technological in basis, the synths, the electronics, the western instruments, but it's more than just that. The pieces are a unique fusing of different musical cultures, rather than being a straight ethnography on the one hand, or a western conception of non-western musics on the other. There's really a superposition at work here, the way a vocal melody is reconfigured with a completely different harmony, for example, that opens up this completely unique third musical culture along the way. They're taken from the album Tower of Silence released on music from memory in 2016 and that itself is a compilation of many of his hard to find previous releases and I highly recommend digging further into that one. Fantastic! That's Ariel's Song, written in 1987, by Mary Jane Leach. She's a Vermont-born composer who's been based in NYC since at least the 80s, I think, and she's been very heavily involved in the downtown music scene there. Her compositional journey is an interesting one, and speaks, I think, to her process. In the 70s, she wrote mainly with tape, overdubbing her own playing and singing but as her music became more frequently performed, she continued using this process in her written pieces, layering or overdubbing, if you like, parts, and experimenting with textures created by multiple voices. Her music has been described as a sort of angelic minimalism that is more focused on the acoustic properties of sound than on its structural composition. So as with the Michael Winter piece earlier, and as with the music of Julius Eastman, who I mentioned as Mary Jane Leach, is his primary archivist and bibliographer. There are superficial similarities with the minimalist milestone pieces of the 70s, but really as many important differences. And that piece, Ariel's song, with its haunting, windswept quality, is a kind of musical puzzle involving antiphony, or the playing off of one set of voices against another, in this case by the voices moving in opposite directions melodically. And the piece, for me, sustains an intensity that is as much sonically achieved as it is based on the notes. And that's aided, I think, in no small part by the homogenous scoring for voices. It was performed by the New York treble singers, conducted by Virginia Davidson, and it's taken from the album Celestial Fires, released on the label Experimental Intermedia Foundation back in 1993. Opera Aeolia, written in 1970, by Franca Sacchi. She's another female pioneer of early electronic music, and one of the few Italian women, along with the likes of Teresa Rampazzi, who pursued the field through the 60s and 70s. But she's also a painter, a dancer, a yoga instructor, and multi-instrumentalist, who developed what she termed the Instatic Principle which incorporates improvisation, electronic music, ritual, performance, teaching, and meditation. And that piece, Arpa Aeolia, is taken from the compilation album N, referencing, I assume, that N-static principle, and was released on the label De Schachtel in 2004 and re-released more recently in 2011. It features an electronically manipulated piano and is intended to trace the imminent physicality of the execution and the body that operates on it. Of her music, she's written that it's an act of complete self-recognition. I realized that the so-called discourse on the evolution of musical language no longer interested me. I considered it false, schizophrenic, insincere, and imposed by the current ideology. So she rejected what she called the formal organization of sound and the relationships imposed on both sound and movement, along with what she termed any form of rationalization that comes from the outside, like some sort of imposed rhythm. Instead, she turned her focus to what she termed the vital and biological rhythm only, and above all, the ontological one, the primary subject, the living human being. I love that. That's the opening half, more or less, sorry, more excerpts only, of Jörg Frey's String Quartet Number 3. He's a Swiss composer and clarinetist, and if you noticed something of an aesthetic connection between that and the piece by Cem Gurney featured earlier, that's no coincidence, as Frey is in fact the co-founder of the Vondelweiser group that performed and recorded both. Along with much of the label's output, his music is characterized by sparse, quiet soundscapes with as much weight given to silence as sound. He's been described as a master of calm, instrumental textures, who writes egoless music that feels as though it's always existed whilst Alex Ross, of the Rested Noise fame, has likened his music to a mala Adagio suspended in zero gravity. For his part, Jörg Frey has said that all good music should be felt in some part of the body, and that his music is intended to be felt just inside of the eardrum. And that's a great image for me. It's a visceral, embodied music, but on the most subtle of scales. In this piece we get something that plays with both sound and silence, yes, but also stasis and change, and there's an interesting relationship at play between the sonic aspects of chords and gestures, which can aspire to be almost ahistorical, I suppose, and little bits, cadences, patterns, and so forth, that seem to allude to historical style, with all the baggage that entails. Mahler in near-zero gravity, I guess. That was performed by the Bozzini Quartet, they are Alyssa Chung and Clemens Markle on violins, Stephanie Bozzini, viola, and Isabel Bozzini, cello. And it's taken from the album, String Quartet Number no. 3, Onobare Zeit, and it was released on Edition Vondelweiser Records in 2015. Well, that just about wraps up another episode. The tonic should be back on July the 7th at 10 a.m. British Summertime. As always, you can check the show's Instagram page for confirmation, the underscore tonic underscore, just to say thanks to Meg, to Rosie, and everyone at Threads again for hosting. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.